0: chapter 7, starting in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. This is the account of Jesus raising the widow's son found in Luke chapter 7. You'll not only find it in here, but nearly every children's Bible storybook you're going to read of this. It's a beautiful story. It's a great story. It's the story where we champion Jesus as the Savior whose heart goes out to us, and in our time of need, He sees us walking down the road, weeping as a widow who has lost their only child, and His heart goes out to us. And he comes to us in our time of need and he ministers and he heals. And that's the God that we serve, right? We love this story. We tell this story to other people about God and his love and his compassion compels him to walk up to that coffin. What an unusual scene and sight that must have been. In her grief, she might could have mustered up enough energy to at least take a swing at a guy who would say, Don't cry as, he, as she is walking behind her son who has just died. The coffin that they're carrying him in. What amazing love we see displayed from a God who comes to us. But what happens when it doesn't always work that way? I want to share with you a second story. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, we're going to spend our time in verse 21, and we're going to break this story apart. It's one that you may have read, but never in a children's Bible. It didn't make the cut. In fact, there's a lot of people, myself included, that have read this story and wished it never made it into the Bible, because it's one that makes us at very best uncomfortable. It provides ammunition for people who think that Jesus wasn't all that we said He is. And they read this story and they say, see what kind of God that you have. But it's in here. And so I want to take a few minutes and I want us to look at this together. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter 15. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Him crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. I want to stop here for just a second. I want to give us a little context as to what's going on. Uh, What took place uh, years and years and years prior to this point is that the twelve tribes came in, they conquered the land of Canaan. Let me back up. God conquered the land of Canaan for them and then gave it to them. They split up into different uh, tribes, and they were given certain areas. There's one tribe up at the very north. It was the tribe of Asher. Asher was one of the tribes uh, that is now Phoenicia that was up there that had with it Tyre and Sidon. This is about 50 miles north-northwest of the Sea of Galilee. But the tribe of Asher did what God commanded them not to do. What Joshua begged them not to do is that they forsook their God and they took on other gods and intermarried, and before long they were no longer the, the, the people of God. And the other tribes loathed and hated these groups that had done that. So much so that they referred to them as dogs. Because they had defiled God's people and God Himself by taking on other relationships and giving up the God to worship other gods. And so this is where Jesus is now going This is worse than just being a Gentile. This is a traitor of sorts in the eyes of many Jews. And so Jesus is on his way up there. While he's there, this Canaanite woman cried out, Lord, everybody say with me, Lord. Lord. I want you to think about this because this word might come up again. Lord, she says this, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. And Jesus went over and healed her son and her daughter, and everything was great. That's a good story to put in the children's Bible, isn't it? Just like the, oh, wait, I didn't read that. I missed up a little bit. Jesus did not answer a word. You think this silence is awkward? Think about this. Here we have a woman, and the NIV translates, crying out. I read it a little bit more monotone than I suppose it came out. When she said, Lord, Son of David, my daughter is dying! I don't know if Jesus turned and looked her direction. But He didn't respond to her. You know what He did? You can take offense to this because I do. You know what Jesus did? He ignored her. He acted like she wasn't there. This is not about like the widow of Nain. It's not Jesus rushing in and saving the day. He didn't even pretend that she existed. Listen to this in verse 24 or 23. After we get through, he did not answer. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Did you hear that? This is not. You know, if I can have your attention for a second, Jesus, would you come over here? She does it over and over again, so much so that the disciples are at best perturbed at either one, that Jesus won't answer, or two, that she won't shut up. That's what they want. Get her out of here. We're tired of listening to her. This woman, in a time of great need... Cries out to God, and Jesus doesn't say a word. The disciples come and say, Listen, she won't stop. Will you get rid of her? And listen to what Jesus says. These are in, in red letters, by the way. I want you to listen to what he says. He answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Strike one for this lady is that Jesus won't even acknowledge her presence when she's crying out. She says, Lord. She says, Son of David. She believes that Jesus has the power To save her daughter, and Jesus ignores her. Strike two. When Jesus acknowledges her presence, what he said is, You're not good enough. I didn't come to you, I came to the sheep, not the dogs. Are you feeling a little more uncomfortable about Matthew chapter 15? Is this one of those stories that you wished that Matthew, when writing this down, kind of skipped this and you know what, this really is not well. This doesn't look good for Jesus. He's ignored this woman and now he's turned to her and says, I didn't come for you. I came for the chosen people and you're not them. The woman came and knelt before him. She comes, I don't know if it was a kneeling, I suppose it was more of a falling, just in all the humility that she could muster, and she says, Lord, help me. She didn't say, I'm worthy enough. She didn't say, I deserve it. She didn't say, no, no, I am a good sheep. I've done the right things. All she says is, Lord, help me. Everybody say, Lord. Lord. Twice now, she has addressed Him as the Lord, the Master, the one who has the ability to do things. She falls at His feet. She says, Lord. And now, surely, Jesus is going to do the right thing. And he says this, now I don't know about you, but you may want to read along with me. Don't believe that I'm making up these words. I want you to read, this is from the Word of God, verse 26. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their what? Okay, now the implication is now gone. He's no longer insinuating that she's a dog. He outright says, there is bread good enough for the children. You're a dog and you don't deserve it. Now, how many of you now have a problem with what Jesus just said? How many of you are thinking, this, this isn't right? This, This is not the Jesus of love and mercy, the one who would climb up on the cross and die for us. And on the other, he ignores her. He says, you know what? This is not for you. You're not good enough. And now he flat out just says that you can't have the bread that's meant for the children because you're a dog. This is not dogs of 21st century. They're pets and we groom them. Dogs were filthy, disgusting, gross Infested animals that carry diseases. If you were called a dog, that was not a compliment. That was this ravenous animal that would roam the streets tearing up things looking for food. And Jesus flat out says, You're a dog. Does, does this collide? With the Jesus that we talk about, the one who sits there and says, let the little children come to me, the one who over and over again shows compassion. Do do we need to go back and look at Luke chapter 7 again? He sees the widow, and what is his heart? His heart goes out for her. And now right here, Jesus has insulted her. He's ignored her, and He said, you're not good enough. But she's not done. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She does not expand into this great monologue about how she's really good enough and she deserves it. She says, you're right. I'm a dog. I'm worthless. But you know what? can I have just a little bit? I'm not asking for bread. I'm not asking for a meal. Just let me have some crumbs. Have you ever called out to God like that before? Have you ever said, I don't want much, God, but just, I'm broken and I need help. And you felt ignored. And you felt like you weren't good enough. And in some ways you felt like maybe you're a dog that you don't deserve anything. You've heard it from everybody else. Why wouldn't God say that to you? You've come and you've fallen at His feet and you've begged and you've pleaded. And God says, I'm sorry. I've got bread, but not for you. I've got a son, but I didn't send him for you. You ever have that war in your mind within your soul that says, maybe I'm just not good enough. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. You know, the outcome was great, wasn't it? I mean, there's a woman... She had a daughter who was dying, and Jesus healed the daughter. I mean, couldn't we have just done that part of the story and and left out the middle part? Why is that in there? Why would he ignore her? Why would he say, you're not the chosen people? Why would he just flat out say, you're a dog? Is this the Jesus that we really know? I wanted to argue that Jesus did something, he employed a method of teaching that would have been very unusual, but if you put it in the context of which the story takes place, it makes perfect sense. My dear friend and mentor, Joe Bagby, who I got to work with for for five years before he passed, one of the things he talked about when he says, when it comes to Bible study... Never forget the context. Context is important. You have to look at the context. The Bible was written towards the end of the first century. Around 1500 AD, about 1400 years later, somebody said, you know what? This is such a huge story. What if we broke it down into chapters? 300 years later after I'm sorry 1200 that happened in 1500 they said chapters are nice but wouldn't it be great if we had verses then we can find the exact spot and what a blessing that has been but in doing so we have chopped up these stories so much that we forget that there's something that comes before and after that and i want us to look back now flip backwards if you have to one page maybe to Chapter 15 of Matthew. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. This was less about hygiene uh, and more about this ceremonial washing that they were supposed to do. It was part of the law. That's what you did. Jesus replied, And why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help might otherwise have been received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not honoring his father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right about you when he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. What a harsh condemnation that Jesus reserved for no one but the religious leaders. What he was saying is this, You follow all these rules, but you have no heart. Because you say, oh, I would love to help you, but I have to follow the law. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Who helped out? Was it the Levite? Was it the priest? Who helped out? The dog helped out. Why did the Levite and the priest walk around? Probably because it would have made them unclean. Well, not probably. It would have made them unclean to touch a bloody body. And they said, I'm going to be a religious, righteous person. And I'm going to walk past the man who's half dead and bleeding on the side of the road. And Jesus says, shame on you. And so here's what He does. Jesus goes into character. Jesus wants the disciples to see how the religious leaders are treating people who are crying out for the Lord. Because there are people who are broken, who come forward and say, I need help. And these religious leaders completely ignore them. We're not going to help you. They pretend that they're not there. Did you know they had rules for this? They had these rules that said that if it's the Sabbath day and you're walking along the road... And there is a wall that has fallen and is crushed. A Jew, you know what you're supposed to do? You help them. Did you know they added on to that? If it's the Sabbath and you're walking down the road and there's a man, not Jew, Gentile, crushed underneath the wall, what do you do? I'll see you tomorrow. It's the Sabbath. This is not a joke. This is what they did. And Jesus says, listen. You need to know. It's about the heart. Forget about these rules and these laws that you've created so that you can be righteous. When a child of mine is on the side of the road and is bleeding, you stop and help them. Forget about clean and unclean. Remember your heart. Forget about if you wash your hands before your meal. You say you honor your father and mother... Yeah, in public you do. You go and you make a big deal about the money that you throw into the plate, into this, this, this huge urn, and you make this sound as it clings down in there, and you make it sure everybody sees you. You make sure that when you fast, you do it on the market days, and you put white on your face, so when you walk out, people can say, oh, there's a godly person, person who's fasting. And then you go home, And mom and dad say, boy, I sure could use some help. And you say, you know what? I'd love to help you, but I already gave my money. You're on your own. And Jesus says, you hypocrites. You play this act so well that you're great, but behind closed doors and in private, you don't have the heart. You just follow a checklist so people will look at you and think how great you are. They treated people like dogs. They said, you're worthless. I think Jesus was just in character. I think He said, I want you to know this is how they treat Him. I think the disciples were just as confused at Jesus' actions as we are today as we read them. But Jesus wanted them to see, look, this is how the chief priests and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that's how they treat people. This is not how it works. And ultimately, do you know what happens? Jesus, and His heart, says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a person who will follow the law and leave out the heart. Now I want to talk for just a moment about this widow. And where you find yourself in her story. Some of us have been and experienced days like the widow of Nain, where we have been broken and torn apart, and God has come to us, and His heart has come out to us, and He's come and He's been there for us. And we have felt His presence and we have seen Him living and working in our lives and we praise God for that. But not everybody gets to be the widow of Nain, do they? Not everybody gets to see their only child raised from the dead. And while we can praise God when He chooses that to happen, that doesn't always happen. Because for some of us, we're not the widow of Nain. We're the Canaanite woman. And we've begged and we've pleaded. And we've said, God, please do something. There has been an ominous dark cloud that has fallen over many people from from here in Jefferson Street over the last 24 hours. Clay Martin is the preaching minister there. And yesterday, his son, Caleb, and a friend, Brittany, they were about to head out to go to a a youth event in Denver City. Before they left, they ran over to McDonald's to grab a bite to eat before heading out. They pulled out of McDonald's. And Brittany didn't see the car coming. And they were struck. And within a few hours, Caleb was pronounced dead. And there is a family that is broken and grieving. And they have come before the Lord. Maybe like the Canaanite woman (laughs) said, God, please... Maybe, maybe they wish they were the widow walking down the road. Can't you pray for that? God, do something that nobody else can do. A 15-year-old boy, a 16-year-old girl is going to live the rest of her life. And I, I pray that God will give her mercy And a bad memory. Because right now, as this congregation at Jefferson Street meets, guys, they're broken. And for those of you who have children, you know, my response is, I'm sorry guys, y'all can't leave the house. I just can't imagine. Some of you have experienced such a deep loss. And I want to speak to you right now. Because I want you to know that there is a God who loves and a God who heals. And a God who keeps His promises. Now for the widow of Nain walking down the road, she saw immediate Immediate, miraculous intervention from Jesus. You know what's interesting about this story? Is that we know nothing about her. How many times do we see people falling at the feet of Jesus? Nothing is said of this woman's faith. For all we know, she had no faith. All we know is that she's going down the road and she's crying because she's lost her husband and now she's lost her only son. And Jesus comes in and allows healing to occur. But for the rest of us, for the Martins, and the heartache that they're going through, Jesus didn't meet them on the road. And they're left broken. Their hearts are broken, but God's promise is not. I want us to learn from the Canaanite woman who went to Him. And I want us to be reminded that there are some truths that we can learn about her and her story. The first thing is this, that when she faced tragedy and difficulty in her life, she went to Jesus. Now, that's going to look different for a lot of people. But ultimately, she found herself going to the one that she called Lord. Now, for some of you, it may be, God, I need your help. For others, it may be, God, where are you? Why did you let this happen? And I will say to you, for those of you who don't know, is it okay to question God? I believe it's wonderful. It's appropriate. It's biblical to question God, because God is big enough to handle our questions. And if we're willing to go with Him, to go to Him with questions, it means that we believe that He's a God who has answers. She could have easily written off God and says, I will have nothing to do with you. You have taken my Father, you have taken my Son, and I don't even want to talk to you or acknowledge your existence. We learned from this woman of great faith that the first thing that she did in her time of trouble is that she went to Jesus. The second thing that we need to understand and learn from her is that she persevered even when she was denied. Even when Jesus didn't respond to her. That did not mean that God was not loving or powerful. What it meant was, not yet. But she kept persevering. You know, she could have left it. When he ignored her, she could have walked away. When he says, you know what, you're not good enough, she could have left. When he called her a dog, she could have said, forget about it. But she kept on. And so from the third thing we remember or realize is that she pleaded even though she had to overcome obstacles. I would be lying if I said that following Jesus meant that it was going to be easy or pain free. There will be times that you will be overwhelmed with the Spirit and the presence in which God brings into your life. There will be other times where you find yourself in a deep, dark cave and you want to know, God, where are you? I need you. There will be obstacles that you face in your life. Don't give up. And the last one is this. The woman waited at Jesus' feet for mercy. Jesus gave mercy. He allowed healing to occur, but it didn't occur in her timetable. Here's what I can tell you is this. Healing occurs in all of our lives. You may say, no, no, that's not right. I have an ailment. I have a limp. I have bad eyes. Healing hasn't occurred. Healing occurs in our life. It may not happen spontaneously or miraculously like we've seen in other people's lives. But one, don't think that has to do with God's love for you. And two, this is very important. Don't think that God's healing power has directly everything to do with your faith. Don't think that, oh, I don't have enough faith or God would heal me. Paul had faith. Three times he pleaded for a healing and God said no. Three times this woman, or one continuous time she continues to plead and God, God didn't give it. He, he, he didn't bring it. And yet, ultimately, God healed. It's not the way we always want it. I've been there. I've sat at the foot of my dear friend, and I prayed to God, will you please swap lives with me? He's a better minister and preacher than I will ever be. He could be a lot more effective in your kingdom than I am. Can't we just do this? Can you hear me, God? Yesterday, as we were getting texts and phone calls back and forth about what was going on and not really sure, lots of information and some of it was misinformation. I actually got a phone call at one time that says that we got news that Caleb um, had died about 20 minutes later i got a call from the same person that says i'm sorry i was misinformed he's not dead he's on life support and i said god is that you listening to our prayers do you hear the pleas and the cries of your children that says make a miracle happen can't you do this and then another 20 minutes later i got a phone call from the same person who says okay he died God didn't break his promise when those two cars collided. God didn't have uh, too little power or too little love when he allowed Caleb's tent to break down and fall. God's promise from the very beginning. His plan and His intention was that Caleb would never die. That's the promise that He has for you. He says, you will never die. You're just not always going to live in this tent that you're in right now. There's something more that I have for you. I have not a tent not a shack, I have an eternal dwelling that I am building for you. In our time of grief, in our time of loss, in our time of questioning, as we find opportunities to minister to the Gowen family, and to the Martin family, and to the whole Jefferson Street family, as people look on and see, what, is, what, are, what do Christians do When tragedy strikes, our response is, we lean on the promises of God that never fail. That God is faithful. We are going to be looking for opportunities to minister to the Jefferson Street family over the coming weeks. And as I have said before, sometimes we sing for people who can't. In their brokenness, in their exhaustion, some of them will find it hard to lift up their voice. Let's come to their side. And let's sing about a faithful God so that they can be reminded God doesn't give up on us. Whether we're the widow or whether we're the Canaanite woman, God heals through His Son Jesus and the forgiveness that He offers. I pray this week that you will be reminded of God's promise for you. And through the struggles, frustrations, and ailments of life, that we remember God has a plan and a purpose for you. For each one of you. And that He will be glorified. Through your praise and your service to Him. This morning before we have our invitation song. Rather than calling you uh, to come forward if you have a request. Although we will have an elder Uh, In the family room. I just want to stop now and I just want to ask for God to reach out to use us to minister to those families that are just torn up right now. And I'm going to ask if you will join me in prayer as we do that. Father God, there have been so many days that I have triumphed and and, uh, I have given testimony that You are a God who meets us at the funeral procession. That You're there to heal, that Your heart goes out. And Lord, while we know that Your love is unending, there are days that we walk down that road... And miracles don't happen. And we're left to question. And we're left to wonder. Where are you? So Lord, I just pray this morning. That we continue to seek you. That whether in tragedy or in victory. We come to you. And that even through the times when we beg and plead and call You, Lord, over and over, even when we display great faith and we hear nothing, this is not You ignoring us. That You are a God who keeps Your promises. Lord, I pray that we will stay at Your feet as we wait for Your mercy. That we will find ourselves being a people who rely on our Lord. And that we will continue to work, to fight, to build that relationship with you when everything else tries to pull us away. Lastly, Lord, I just pray a special prayer for the Martins. Who are burying their son this week? God, please use us. Rather than expecting you to do all the comforting, Lord, we pray that you will use us. Let us be a tool. Let us be your presence in this dark time. For Brittany Gowen. Who has been devastated. Please show her that you're a God of mercy. And love and forgiveness. A God who brings light. After the darkness. May we continue. To remind those who are hurting of that. Lord please. Use us this week. In your kingdom.